You're listening to Extra Takes, hosted by Northland Church lead pastor, Dr. Joshua Laxton. Tune in each week as Pastor Josh reveals the rest of the story behind his sermons. We'll discuss how those who follow Christ can live out a biblical vision for the church in the world today. Well, hello, Northland family and friends. Welcome to another episode of Extra Takes. I am your co-host, PJ, along with my sidekick co-host, Matt Shiles. Matt, I hear you're tired. Oh, you're just, we're going to start like that. I, I want to throw you in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I think we share that today, right? Oh, we share it. Oh, because we, we you, <laughs> you led that, and I was just confiding in you, and now we're gonna. I did. I was projecting my own tiredness onto you. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> so we're both gonna do our best to increase the energy today. I'm gonna try to. I did drink a cup of iced coffee okay. from our cafe. Yeah, and so it, well, very good because okay. I put a little bit of vanilla syrup in it. Yeah. And then, you know, put some of my, like, cream that yeah. I normally do, like a yeah, half and half, like yeah. a flavored half and half, and then with a little nitro coffee. And it hasn't kicked in yet because I just I okay. just finished it, so hopefully it will. And the reason why I'm plugging the cafe is because uh, we're doing this soft launch where Brian right now will be open Tuesdays and Wednesdays just for the, for the next month as we try out some things. And he's going to be open from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then obviously he's also open on the weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. So Saturday from uh, 4 p.m. to, I believe, 7 p.m. And then also... So Sunday from 8 a.m. to around 1 p.m. So again, it's open already on the weekend, but we're doing some soft launches during the week, and then we will work our way up to opening four days a week from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. But right now, just Tuesday and Wednesday, and that iced coffee was very helpful today. That was a masterful transition. You liked that, didn't you? Yeah. So... That's just, what happens when I'm tired. It, <laughs> yeah, no filter, but I just... It was a good transition. Yeah, I appreciate it. it. But I'm grateful for our yeah. cafe. We've been talking yeah. about it, and they've done a lot, a lot of work over the last year. And so just excited to see how we can create a just a sustainable yeah. uh, cafe that is open to people who are, are yeah. already here, which one of the things that we have talked about is when Ecclesial opens this week... In addition to everything else that we have, we'll have four to five hundred people just during the the day yeah. that would what constitute foot traffic. Sure. You know, not even including the people across the street or what we have come through on the weekend. But every day we have four to five hundred people mm. just come through the doors of our building, and mm. so so we hope to capture some of them. Then obviously with our network of people who are Northlanders, hey, come you know eight a.m. to two p.m. and there's breakfast, there's lunch. Uh, the senior staff and I, we went down yesterday because yeah. he was testing some things, and okay. uh, we had sandwich and chips, and uh, it was just great. Like so, yeah. a healthy sandwich because I had multigrain, multigrain. Okay. I didn't, I didn't have the, no, <laughs> I didn't have the multigrain. I don't know how healthy it was, but <laughs> it was a really good sandwich, and Brian did a great job. So, anyways, I'm continuing to plug the cafe, but just definitely wanted people to know. And it's a great place to work too. So. Um, it's exciting for us to be at, at that point. Yeah. Uh, so good plug. Good job. Off to a good start. Um, so this past weekend was the – we titled this the Weekend of Worship, August 5th and 6th. And we were in Acts 1, um, Acts 1 through 11. 
So I don't know if you saw this, but so in honor of our Brazil short-term mission t- trip team returning, they got back on Saturday, in honor of them returning. So on Sunday, I had the IPM, the church in Manaus. Oh, yeah. I had that shirt. What you might not have seen is on the back, in Portuguese, it was Acts 1-8. Really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yep. So you was, didn't even know I was going to do that. I, I don't, th- don't I, yeah. think I did, yeah. I mean, obviously, I've referred to Acts 1. I don't think I've ever preached on Acts 1 here. I don't think I, – I, I would have to go back and, and you, check. You certainly refer to Acts 1 a multiple times, but maybe not preaching. As yeah. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as well too. So <laughs> obviously I have my go-to verses. <laughs> uh, you know, it wouldn't be a, a weekend without Genesis 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> so you talked about a, a couple things this weekend and um, really interesting to see how they were actually tied together. Uh, first of all, you said you wanted to encourage us. You said that you wanted to talk about the budget and also the doctrine of the last things. Yeah. So what's so funny is like – I mean I really did not proof text. Like you know what proof texting is is that you go – you know like you read into a text mm-hmm. what you wanted to read into the text. Now, of course, like the budget, I use that as an uh, application to this idea of them going to Judea, Samaria, and the other, you know, kind of the other uh, most parts of the earth. I mean, mm-hmm. so it is going to require sacrifice. It is going to require time, talents, and treasures. Like, you know, if you start unpacking that, Paul is going to ask the church and churches to, to help fund missionary endeavors. So anyways, I mean, I can definitely make the biblical case yeah. that to go to the ends of the earth – that it does require money. Yeah. So anywho, I mean, I wasn't proof texting, but uh, but how how well do you think that, you know, I mean, again, you can be honest. I mean, because we could actually edit it if I really didn't like your answer. But anyways. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do yeah. that to Steve. Yeah, you're not going to do that to Steve. But I mean, it, it was funny to start out with those three things and go, all right, can we can we see those in Acts 1? Well, yeah. and, and you were able to do that by, by talking about checkpoints and destinations. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really where you could see this idea of the budget and also the doctrine of the last things fitting together. Yeah. Right? Because you're talking about the destination. And so often we get caught up in, hey, thinking that these checkpoints are the destination and yeah. realizing that um, what really is the destination and what is our mission. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I was um, I was impressed. I thought I thought those tied together. Better than I expected. Yeah, yeah. So, well, and you know, and I, I, uh, I've told people this just recently. I just don't like to talk about the budget, just in and of itself. Why not? Because I think we are living in a context in a day and age where there are a lot of people already skeptical about church when they talk about money. But I really want to talk about money in the context of mission. Yeah, and so. And I actually had somebody tell me today that there are quite a few people that were grateful that I talked about the budget and it was uh, very succinct, uh, very helpful. Mm-hmm. But but to do it in a way to connect it to mission, like yeah. you, you know, yeah. we're just not asking for money for the sake of asking for money. But we 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 are saying God has 
he has saved the church, mm-hmm. like the the people of God mm-hmm. that he has ransomed, mm-hmm. and the church, or you could call local churches that comprise of the big C church, but 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 churches are the vehicles by which God is advancing His mission, Be, and and so therefore there there therein lies this this element of tithes that the people of God give to him, mm-hmm. they give to him through the vehicle of his church. So so anyways, I just want to try to always explain that yeah. uh, because it, it may not I, – again, I just feel like we live in a day and age where what we think people know, they don't uh, – it, it's always helpful to remind them. Yeah, because you brought up this idea of being skeptical um, – I think we are just more skeptical in general than we have been, um, and certainly within the church, that can be the case, whether you're talking about money or not. But you know, if someone comes in and their perception is all they want is their money, then you bring up money. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Right. So to be able to change that perception and change that paradigm and say, this is why we're talking about money um, through. Acts one eight through mission through the context of what we what we've been talking about. Anybody that's been with us for months and months, you know, knows that you are about the mission of God, yeah. right? So you were able to tie that in in a pretty succinct way, and it didn't feel separated, right? right? It didn't feel. Um, you know, inauthentic, and I think that's what resonates with people: authenticity. Yeah, and and while we're on the subject of money, but let, since this is extra takes, let me let me just kind of expound on some things that I'm thinking of that I'm just toying with because I mean I know that people you know in the past and again not necessarily Northland but just in church in general I'm just I'm always tired about the pastor talking about sure. money. Yeah, listen, you can't go anywhere without money in some sense being exchanged. Just think about it, okay? So, I mean, if you go to Crunch Fitness, money has been exchanged because yeah. that's why they're going to let you in. Yeah. Because you pay either $15 a month or you pay $30 a month for the premium so you can get the massage, you know. Or if you go to the AT&T store, like so yesterday, it's been three years since we have uh, upgraded our phone. So the entire Laxton clan, we went into an AT&T store yesterday at 630. There is exchange of money. Yeah. You and know, that store so was full, I bet. And well, it, well, it was full with all of the Laxtons, and it was so funny because I, I really apologized to the guy, or the, actually the two guys, and I'm like, man, I know it's six thirty, y'all close at seven, oh. y'all want us to come back, and I'm like, oh no, 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 the, y- y'all are the second customer I've had all day long. Please, oh. you know, I'm like, stay, and so wow. I actually. I actually uh, wrote a review, and I wrote a review through Ellie's Google, you know, phone, but or, or kind of Google account. I was that impressed with these guys, so I really was. I was just that impressed. Mm. And but but again, I'm going to AT and T. There's an exchange of money, I, so I, I'm 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 not offended that they asked me for money, mm. you know. And then you know when I'm sitting at home and I'm watching you know TV. And I'm watching movies through platforms. I'm not offended that they ask me for money. And so when it comes to the church, mm. we should ne- like. Okay, and if you don't, if you don't, if you're skeptical about what that church does with its money, then you might want to find another church that you're not. But mm. we should never be offended if we know Jesus. If mm. we know Jesus, we should never be offended at a church asking people to give to the mission of God because we have no problem mm. giving to the mission of these other organizations. Yeah. 
And I would dare say that most of these organizations that we give money to, that that we in some sense give our offering above and beyond, mm. like we're not offended that they ask for money. Now, sure, there are sometimes they're like, oh my gosh, inflation! Oh my gosh, they went up, you know, three dollars on their burrito. I mean, okay, sure, mm. we might get a little, you know, a little upset about inflation and the rise of costs, but we're never offended at these businesses mm. asking us for money. Mm. Why in the world, if we are in the business of the ministry and mission of God, why in the world would we ever get offended at the church asking people, challenging people to give to the ministry and mission of God mm. that has been around since the creation of mankind? Amen. So, so I've been thinking about that. Like, again, it's only in the church where people are like, I don't like them talking about money. Uh, I mean, eh. So it's fascinating. It reminds me of conversations I've been having with my oldest daughter recently, Kate, as we'll, we'll watch TV and, um, and, you know, commercials will come on. And we've had conversations about, hey, they're, they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to sell us something. Yeah, yeah. So she now has this expectation if a commercial comes on, hey, dad, what are they trying to sell us now? <laughs> right. But I th- we get so used to it that that's not always – top of our mind but she has developed this expectation that if something other than her show is on they're trying to sell us yes that's cool yeah Yeah. and when it is it's it's so true i mean that's kind of the cultural context in which we live yeah and so like again we we get it and i i just won't i I really do i I hope believers know and i i intentionally did not talk about money this past fiscal year other than the backstory of generosity and there was a couple of times where we, you know, we had their Giving Tuesday. Yeah, I may have said something one other time, but I intentionally did not talk because I wanted just to see. Yeah, if I didn't even mention anything about money, what is our capacity without really making uh, really uh, some intention mm-hmm. of uh, intentional effort of asking people and challenging people to to give. Yeah. And uh, but this year they're going to hear me talk about it more, really more so teach about it more. Uh, again, not because we're in some financial trouble. Is that okay? Now, now we know where where the baseline is. Let's see what we can do as we now you know intentionally teach our people yeah. about what what tithing is, and then also what what even all, giving an offering yeah. is. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned that this past weekend. I know this past week in some meetings I heard you say that, that you hadn't intentionally yeah. talked about um, finances for the last year. That was surprising to me. It it hadn't seemed that long. And and yeah. sometimes time just passed and, um, you know, it can feel like, oh, we're, we're doing this again. No, 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 no. It was more than 12 months ago. <laughs> yeah, because Raise the Roof was June and yeah. Raise the Roof was the previous, previous. right fiscal year yeah. because our fiscal years go from July to June. Yeah. And so that was June of 2022 which was the budget of 2021-2022. Yeah. So that and, and some people thought I was crazy, which yeah, I mean that probably is a really good okay. you know, uh, label for me. I can be crazy <laughs> that I, w- I had only been here a couple of months and here I am asking for a million dollars, but I, we raised $917,000 and look and, and people yeah. have just really been uh, quite surprised and they've seen the building be quite lovely and other things. I mean, in some sense, we don't look at the roof because it's a roof, but it's a brand new roof over there at the rink. So it's a very lovely roof, by might I add. 
Yeah. Yeah, I I might have been in the um, the crazy skeptical camp. I I was uh, just cautious. Yeah. I, man, is this really gonna? Is this too much? But it was amazing to see um, the resilience and just the way that God moved through all of us as a body. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for this above and beyond, and um, expectant for what is going to happen. And, and to kind of use raise the roof over a year ago as an example that would be an example of an offering yeah and so it wasn't part of our tithe it was above and beyond to go to the roof yeah the lobby kind of you know renovations cafe we did some things in our children wings Mm -hmm. and then also our inside the rink and our student and man our rink looks incredible like i've done a funeral over there we've had we've held the global leadership summit Uh, we were a host site and that's where we met over there Mm -hmm. we've had some other i mean it's just really really nice that's where our community arts connection Mm -hmm. now meets i mean so i'm grateful that the church stepped up above and beyond for Raise the Roof. And yeah. so we're just asking them to do it again. And yeah. there will always be offering initiatives like Giving Tuesday is yeah. another example of a of an above and beyond initiative. And we raised way more than what we set out this past November. Yeah. And so, again, our, our people, I mean, like Northlanders, if you're listening to this, I'm super hear, – hear me say this. As the senior pastor, I am super, super grateful for your generosity and how you continue to step up and give generously, mm. whether it's through ties or whether it's through offerings. Yeah, well said. So, yeah, you talked about the difference between tithe and offering. Um, specifically with the tithe, I would love for you to share a little bit more about this sacrificial nature. Um, you know, you make a distinction about the 10%. Um, and I, I know many of us grew up thinking, you know, the tithe, 10%, it is 10%. But can you talk a little bit more about um, that distinction and, um, you know, maybe where that that conviction came from this idea of it of it being sacrificial, but not necessarily tied to the ten percent. Yeah. Well, for for me, you you really won't find tithe in the New Testament mm-hmm. in terms of the way it was used in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So again, tithe is a Hebrew word meaning ten, you know, kind of a tenth. Mm-hmm. So ten percent, and we first see, and you know, and, and and some people make the argument because the tithe was kind of introduced with Abraham. So even before the law was given, mm-hmm. and people say, well, it was before the law. It's still, you know, but but for me, the way I look at the New Testament is Paul, he makes a point in in the book of Romans to talk about the law of Christ, mm. that we're no longer under the Old Testament law. And again, I understand how some people go, well, the, the tithe was before the law, mm. but, but, but Jesus was the fulfillment of everything. So he's the fulfillment of what God was doing with Abraham, what God did with Israel, David. Mm. Uh, so... So when this when, when Paul introduces this notion of the law of Christ, that's what we live under. So so he is our measurement. See, the law was the measurement for the Old Testament people of God, and they can never live up to it, right? Mm. Well, in some sense, we can never live up to, to Christ, but he has actually imputed his own spirit and his own nature so that we could pursue Hmm. Uh, him, so that we could, so that we could try to emulate and embody him. So therefore, that Jesus is not only our King 
and our Savior, but he really is our measurement of life mm. uh, because – and I've uh, talked about this too in multiple messages, but even in our TED series about the whole idea of image, mm-hmm. that that it's in Jesus that God is redeeming and repairing the image of God on us. Well, so how's he doing it? Well, through through the better Adam, Jesus, and so so now we have this law of Christ that we are living under mm-hmm. because he's King and Savior, and that's where our giving should be more reflective of how he gave. Mm-hmm. So the widow's might is a is another good example of how Jesus he's sitting there and he's like she's given more than anybody. Um, did she give 10%? Well, no, she probably gave above and beyond the, the 10% because she gave all she, all she had. Everybody else, according to Jesus, was giving from their overflow. She was giving what she had. Mm. And so, again, that, and that's who Jesus praised. And it was actually an indictment against the Pharisees and the religious leaders is really what it was when he shared that story yeah. is that she made them look bad. Yeah. And that that's the, you know so it's those kind of teachings of the the law of Christ where Jesus you know definitely celebrates the the widow's might mm-hmm. and so so for me I, I, again I some people would say well you know the tithe is the training wheels okay I mean okay I'm not going to sit here and disagree with you and and just you know have a debate for the sake of having a debate yeah. for me what I want you know what I'm really shooting for and what I really believe that Jesus is shooting for is your heart because if he has your heart he has your finances if he has your heart he has your marriage if he has your heart he has your vocation if he has your you know so again I, I'm not shooting for hey you need to give, you shoot for a percentage. I'm really saying, what is Jesus telling your heart to give? Because mm. if if Jesus has saved you through His sacrifice, then what He is calling you to is sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so, when Joni and I, when we think about our level of giving, are 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 we sacrificing something in order to give to the Lord and His mission? Yeah. And yes, we you know, I mean, I could I could give you a lot of things that we could buy yeah, in a given year yeah, if yeah. we did not tithe. Sure. I, I mean, like um and and so there there and sometimes I'm like are we even sacrificing enough? Um and one of the things I love that you know, uh, Tim Keller when when he was uh when he was alive, you know, one of the reoccurring I would say statements that he would make when it when it came to getting a raise is that we do not get raises to raise our lifestyle. Right. Right. So just because right. we get a raise doesn't mean that we automatically raise our lifestyle, but we actually raise our capacity to give. Mm-hmm. And I, I always like that because again, he's reframing f- for a believer how we ought to see increases in pay. Yeah, it just doesn't always correlate to an increase in lifestyle. And again, I like that because on the forefront of a believer's mind, when we look at money is how can we give to the Lord and what, and what he's passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so those are some things about money, about tithing. And once again, tithing is a reoccurring gift that, that we give. And, and one of the things I would say is set a percentage. Yeah. 
Now, I had somebody, you know, they, they really uh, did not like when I said this. I guess I said it, you know, maybe months ago. But, yes, yeah, set a percentage. Like, so even if it's not 10%, yeah. I would say start somewhere. So if you've never tithed before, and and I understand that many Americans, they are strapped and I would just encourage you start somewhere. If you start, can you can you start with a percent of what comes in? Mm-hmm. Can you start with two percent? And then you know some people would say about reoccurring. Well, is that every week? Is that every month? It, listen, it's reoccurring. Mm-hmm. There are some people that I've met because of the nature of their business. They they only give maybe even once a year, sure, yeah. uh, or twice a year, or yeah. quarterly. Yeah. Some do give monthly. Um, uh, we give uh, every time we get paid. Yeah. So every other week. Same. And uh, so, again, there is no – and I hope people hear it. Like there's no legalism yeah. that I'm I'm pronouncing here that you you got to give reoccurring every week or every – you know, like – but it is this reoccurring. If you have, if you have resources, if you have f- finances coming in, yeah. that's God being generous to you. Mm-hmm. And then what you're doing in that tithe is that you are understanding that everything that's come in – has come by the hand of God, and that you are you're trusting Him by giving the first fruits. So a, a percentage, a sacrificial percentage, back to the Lord and what what He's doing in the world and through His ministry and mission. So yeah, a couple ideas that that came from this conversation um, to my mind just now is the idea of obedience and the idea of sacrifice. Um, and it's not legalistic, and um, and yeah, the the number can be sacrificial less than ten percent, or it might not be sacrificial if it's only ten yeah. percent. Well, an example that I like, I mean, again, this is just an example, and you know, this example, you know, may not be you know inc- an incredible example, but take someone who makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. All right, let's just say you. Say ten percent of that is you know twenty five thousand dollars. Okay, that's a lot of money, but two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Mm. But take somebody who makes twenty five thousand dollars a year, which there are some people out there making twenty five thousand dollars a year, which is below the poverty line. Yeah. You think twenty five hundred dollars is a lot to them living under the poverty line? Absolutely, so much. So who thousand get, bucks? Yeah. So lot. who's given the bigger sacrifice? Yeah. Now yeah. again, now but here's what typically happens in America: is the two hundred fifty thousand dollar person is probably creating a lifestyle of two hundred fifty thousand. You know, so so I like I understand that, but that's yeah. part of where we're going to have to figure out in in a personal conviction. Yeah. Okay. What what is the sacrifice God's calling me to in my family? Mm. You know. So that that's where I want people to really feel like. Okay, what what's the Lord telling us to give? Yeah. That is sacrificial. That is representative yeah. and reflective of the sacrifice that Jesus made that we might be set free. Yeah. Uh, because that's really what the tithe is really going to. And and I hope people did see, I mean, that when you give to the church, the way we look at it is here's our mission statement, right, that we exist. And, again, you say I, have, I do not have it in front of me. Oh, I know you got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but we exist to glorify God as we participate in his mission of redeeming a people from all peoples by engaging neighbors and nations to be fully alive in King Jesus through the power of the Spirit. That's yeah. why we exist. How do we fulfill that mission? Well, we connect with others. 
and God. Uh, We cultivate disciples and leaders. We care for people and resources, and we are commissioned to neighbors and nations. So, and, And as people saw this past week, Everything that you give to is is going into one of those C's, one of those four buckets. Mm-hmm. And so so everything that that people give mm-hmm. to Northland, it really does go into the ministry and mission of God. Mm-hmm. And we really I, and I, I I say this with with every fiber of my being uh, with, with as much authenticity and trust as I as I have is that we try to be the the the, the best steward that we possibly can be with the Lord's money. Yeah. So while still trusting Him for all of the things that He wants to do through in and through us, it's a so. it's a tremendous responsibility. And we have checks and balances and checks and balances and checks and balances, and yep. we have a system and structure set up. Yeah. Um, and, and just so that people know, the I think it's called the EFCA. ECFA. ECFA. Yes, that's right. Evangelical Commission of Financial Association, something, something like that. But we have an A-plus rating. Yep. So we have auditors every single year that come in. They check. So, so again, we are, we are at the highest level as you possibly can be of integrity. Yeah. Uh, and trust when it comes to finances. Yeah, and honestly, those, those systems are to protect the organization. They're also to protect the individuals, yeah. right? Yep. To protect us from ourselves and from, you know, everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know we talked about money. I'm sure you got some other things there on your list. Yeah, I, so. I do, but it's it's a good conversation to have. We don't talk about it enough, and I think that um, – as in everything, we've talked about issues like politics and um, and other things with the messy middle. The more the more we talk about these topics um, in a in a constructive way, I think the the, the more helpful it is for us to just um, wrestle with it yeah. in, in our own way. I mean, w- what I heard from you, um, there's there's no min- there's no manipulation, right? It has there has to be this heart behind it, and there has to be this. This personal going to the Lord, what is He calling us to do? Each of us individually, yeah. and that's where I think that's where we can separate ourselves from how money has gotten. You know, uh, talks about money within the church has gotten a bad rap when yeah. when uh, pastors are manipulative. Yeah, and we have to um, try to be as authentic as possible. Yeah, and um, and obviously we take that yeah. very seriously. And I truly believe that uh, in the in the psalm, you have a verse where it talks about how the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah. So I, I truly trust the Lord to give us what we need. And sure, there will be seasons where he just gives us what we need. And there will be, just as we were talking at, you know, in the song Honey in the Rock right before, yeah, like yeah. there's going to be wilderness seasons where yeah. he just gives us what we need. But then there will be promised land seasons where he gives us more than what we need, more than enough. Mm. But he's always enough. Mm. And so I, I, I see that with the budget, too, is that mm. there will be seasons that he does. He, he meets the needs. Mm. But then there will be seasons where he gives us more than enough. We even see that with uh, Moses and the building of the tabernacle, and then eventually David and uh, or Solomon building the temple. <laughs> they, they they both got more than what they needed. Like Moses had to tell them to stop. You, you, we, 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 I, like that would be wonderful if we had yeah. to tell people to stop. Yeah. But one of the things that I've always talked about when it came to the tabernacle, because that's what Moses was building versus what we are. Well. Um, 
you had a tabernacle, it, it, it had a blueprint and design. Once that blueprint or once that what, – what they had as a blueprint, once it was erected, it was done. That's all they needed. Here, what, what, what the Lord has given us and what we see in the New Testament is that he's building a new house. Mm. And the house that he's building is actually a people, mm. uh, not through you know tents, that's the tabernacle, or not through temple, brick and mortar or stone. Mm. But now he's building a new house, and it's, it's, it's people from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people group. So therefore, you can't give more than enough until – and this kind of ties into the end – is that Matthew 24 says – and when this gospel has been preached to all nations, then the end will come. So we're going to continue to give until Jesus comes back. Amen. You know, so there will there will never be the statement you've given. You know, you've given too much. Stop giving. Why? Because yeah. until Jesus comes back, we will continue to have this posture of giving our time, talents, and treasures to the Lord and others as we advance His mission to the ends of the earth. Yeah, that's well put. Well, and that, that takes us to Acts 1-8, where we talked about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Um, and I appreciated how you broke each of those down and gave us examples for each of them within our context. Um, so I just have questions about that. What's the most strategic or most important area um, for us today in our context? Or maybe what's a weak, what's a weak spot? Of, for the church in America, of those four, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, most strategic or a weak spot? Yeah, uh, ooh, gosh, a good question. Uh, just so everybody knows, I got that breakdown from one of my professors years ago, uh, Dr. Alvin Reed, in his evangelism book. Mm. And I thought that was such a really good framework because I would say in the church, we we would always say we need to go to our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world and how they interpret it. And I'll use, I'll use Orlando as an example. We need to go to Orlando first, or actually we need to go to Longwood first. Yeah. Then we need to go to Orlando. Yeah. Then we need to go to Florida. Florida. Then we need to go to the ends of the earth. So that that actually isn't the way right. the Jews would have thought about it. So Jerusalem was home base, and like I, you know, yeah. kind of talked about this past weekend, is that that's where the Jews were. That's where they had the scriptures. They believed that a Messiah was going to come. Yeah. And so now the disciples, they've been tasked with reaching Jerusalem first. Basically, their brothers and sisters, so the Jewish brothers and sisters, mm. who they just need to tell them about Jesus and pray and hope that they would convert, that they would believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Mm. But then, as they go out to Judea, kind of same, you know, there the you know the kind of Jew, Jewish brothers and sisters, as they kind of got further out from Jerusalem. So those yeah. are the people in Nazareth or Bethlehem. So yeah. again, same kind of people, com- common worldview. Uh, Samaria, though, if you look at the Samaritan woman, they had a she had a commonality. She shared some kind of commonality worldview that Jesus and the Jews had, uh, but but Jesus had to correct her on some things. Yeah. And then she came 
to faith in Jesus, but then the ends of the earth. So think about Gentiles. So where, where Paul's going now to the Gentiles, I mean, that's a completely different worldview, a, a, a plurality of gods, right? So, so that's how the progression happened with those who were Jews who were converted and yeah. now they're, they're followers, they're disciples of Christ or, you know, followers of the way as yeah. some of the New Testament language has. So for us today, that that's where so that that's where when you look at our Jerusalem, those are people in the church. And the, so this so this coming week when I talk about Matthew thirteen, yeah, and the parable of the sower and the soils, man, there are a lot. There are I hate to say even a lot because people go, wow, like you know is that the majority? I, again, I don't want to put a percentage on it, but there are a lot of people who are in churches today or who have been in church that think they are saved, but they're not. Uh, I think that's a blind spot. So when I look at the weak spot for American church. Um, I think that's at least a blind spot that we have. Yeah. So so Jerusalem, and but that's where I wanted to really focus too to help people understand. Let's focus on also on the next gen. Because these are young people yeah. coming up, and we need to make sure that we teach them yeah. the gospel. I I hadn't heard it described that way, right? Um, I mean, my kids, your kids are included in that, right? Yep. And, um, and I would also assert that that's a weak spot that we have had for the last couple generations. Um, you know, as – kids growing up in the church, what happens to them when they are no longer with their parents, right? When yep. they are no longer um, – they, they, they basically – it's almost like they transfer from Jerusalem to maybe Judea, right? They, they are still similar, but they are no longer yeah. um, you know, within the body. M- many of them um, are, are no longer within the church. So um, it's fascinating to consider um, the kids within our church now. Our Jerusalem, yeah. yeah, and think about Judea. That those could again another uh, another demographic or group of people could be those who were in church prior to the pandemic who are not in church. So the D church, so the D church. Okay, and so one of one of the pastors around here has written a book with someone based upon some research that they had. Ryan Burge, uh, they actually know um, they asked him to to conduct a research. And they call it now the de-church, you know, the de-churching of America, or something like that, I've you know. Seen, and I've so, seen that on the but again, like, and I, yeah. and it's interesting because, like, I've actually been, and I said this when I was at Wheaton College when the pandemic happened, is that all COVID did was replenish the de-churched, you know, because we had mm. pretty much our models of church had reached the had pretty much for the most part reached the de-church because what we mean by the de-church is so in the nineties. In the early, late 90s, maybe even early 2000s, you had these new models of church that were kind of seeker-friendly that basically said, we're not your grandmother's church. Yeah. And so high energy, you know, casual, band, you know, all of that. Like, And sure, there were a lot of people that came back to church and is actually in the 90s, early 2000s when, when, the, when I say the big church in America had reached the pinnacle of church attendance. Now, since the, you know, since the early 2000s, that have just been steadily declining. Mm. So, but anyways, what COVID did is replenish the de-church population. So that could be the Judea. But where, so, so, but, but, but what I would love to help people understand even more so here is that you have to understand that, that 
every, when I say all of our models of church, and what I mean by models of church, so Northland has a model, if you didn't know, but it's more of a regional church model. I mean, we have people coming from Kissimmee, from Daytona Beach, um, from uh, Popka, from DeLand, and yeah. everywhere in between. Yeah, we saw that two weeks ago. Yeah. Right. We had all the cities in Seminole County. We had cities in Orange County and we had Volusia and we had Osceola. Yeah. yeah. So we're a regional church. There are some and then you have some that are uh, home church. Uh, that's why we even have a micro church or Ponce Inlet uh, family. And so they have about 30, sometimes 40 that are part of their congregation there. Uh, but even churches that are running 150, 200, 300, 400, I mean, it, it's, again, it's a kind of model of church where, where uh, it hasn't changed in a long, long time. The model. Like, probably 1,700 years. The model hasn't changed. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah, the model, like, you know, we come, we sing, we preach. Yeah. And, I mean, we have children's ministry. again. Like, that's what I mean. Like, we have very similar models. Some might be, like, home church, micro yeah. church. Some might be, you know, mid-sized church. Some might be large churches with a regional reach. But we're, we're pr- predominantly the same model. Even when you look at the various denominations, they might just do things a little differently. But they come. They have a homily. They, you know, have a, a song or two, and it may only last forty-five minutes, sixty minutes. But, but again, it's this: we're going to come, we're going to sit, we're going to watch. Like so, mm. all of it. So we're predominantly the same model. But the model of church, again, the predominant model of church has done an incredible job over the centuries, reaching those in Jerusalem and Judea. Mm. Now we're seeing much growth, particularly in the U.S., around yeah. those who are what we, you know, again, Sumerians or ends of the Earthians. You know, it kind of reminds me of the ride Guardian of the Galaxies. Yeah. What do we, you know, that t- you know Terry Crews, like, do we call you Epcotians? Do we call you citizens <laughs> of Epcot? Like, so I don't know what we call ends the ends of the, of the Earthians, Earthians, you yeah. know, but anyways, like um, – <laughs> But so that popular those demographics have grown They're tremendously. So what we're going to have to do mm. is that we're going to have to think of different ways, different yeah. strategies, yeah. just as Paul had, because the way he engaged the Jews yeah. in cities that he went to uh, was different than the way he engaged Gentiles in these same cities. And so what we're going to have to think through are different strategies to engage those who would be part of Samaria or part of the ends of the earth. Yeah. And, and some of the strategies that, you know, again, that we're, we actually have, we just need to focus on them some too. Uh, one would be grief share. Mm. So I was actually talking to an individual today uh, where, you know, there are a lot of people out in our community, they have suffered loss and they are grieving. Mm. And many of them are in search of a support group. Mm-hmm. So grief share could mm-hmm. be actually a strategy where you engage a Sumerian, mm-hmm. uh, where you engage an end of the earthian. <laughs> I hate to keep saying that, but but yeah. we could do that. Uh, you have a divorce care. You have celebrate recovery. Those are some front door mm-hmm. kind of ministries and thus strategies to engage people that might fit in that demographic. But then there's something that you and Gus and others are working on are missional communities. And what we're really trying to work on in that setting is train believers who want to be evangelists. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to train train them in, a, in, when I say an organic 
art form of just spiritual conversation to to people who are part of a demographic that may never go to this kind of model church. So it could be people who play golf. It could be people who read books. It could be mm-hmm. business people. Mm-hmm. It could be people who live in a, a certain subdivision. Mm-hmm. That what we're going to do is kind of how Jesus sent out the 72 two by two. Mm-hmm. But we're going to train up some missional community leaders to be sent out to engage a particularly de- a particular demographic who in that demographic do would not do not come to church. And so again, but th- those are really meant those missional communities that we've been working on are meant to go to those who yeah. are in Samaria or who are part of the ends of the earth here in our local context. And there's a process to reaching those who are part of those demographics. It's not as easy. I mean, and sometimes it's even, you know, it's hard to reach in those who live in Jerusalem and Judea. Uh, but but there's there's a, a longer process many times to reaching those who are living in Samaria and the ends of the earth. Yeah. And it's it's just different. One, one example is um, having a spiritual conversation with a Muslim is actually a lot easier than having a spiritual conversation with a with a cultural even sometimes a cultural Christian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just just the idea of talking spirituality, the the there's not this cultural taboo of hey, we don't talk about religion or politics here. Yeah. No, they want to talk about the yes, this yeah. this idea of of um of understanding um and developing, you know, faith, yeah, that w- will take a long time. But just those initial conversations um, it's it's different. Yeah. It's just different. It might might be surprising. So yeah, the way I would describe those missional communities is um, relational evangelism. So we're sending uh, people or couples out two by two in intentional relationships with nonbelievers. Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple places that we're going to be starting. Uh, we have a couple that does bridge. Okay. Um, they find themselves, they're playing bridge a couple times a week. Ah. You know, that's a great example. Um, Toastmasters, okay. we find have individuals that just find themselves are already in Toastmasters clubs. Okay. That's what Gus has been doing for, for years. Oh, that's cool. Um, board games. Yeah. Um, we have, um, we have uh, two individuals who, who work at the same company and they've been just engaging their friends because they're board gamers and okay. it's just a, a great way to get a board game night. Yeah. Um, so so we're just looking at and thinking about where where does God already have you? Does he have you, you know, spending multiple hours a week at the ball field <laughs> and you're around the same ten to fifteen people. Yeah. Yeah. You could f- you could run out of things to talk about. It's very easy to not be intentional. It's very right. easy to be on your phone. It's very easy to stay stay superficial but what we're hoping to do is is start that training and then have a uh, a body of um, a structure to then come back where you have a support system yeah right so you will be able to engage with the other believers that are doing this to encourage and to be sent back out so yeah yeah i, yeah, I love that i and i'm so so we're grateful that y'all are working on that and, yeah and i would you know to to look at this framework once again as you move from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, you're actually going deeper in mission. Mm-hmm. And, and the deeper you go, actually, the harder it gets, the more complex it gets, mm-hmm. uh, the messier it might, you, yeah. you know, it, it might get because yeah. you are entering into unfamiliar territory. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, and, and, you know, and and culture. So yeah, and that's why you know, when you look things, at yeah. Acts seventeen, Paul is even though he's familiar with you know Gentiles, he wasn't as familiar with Athens. So he's going around and he's observing what he sees in Athens, and and again, he then the observation turns to discernment, and so that's where like, but what what you would see research wise is that the longer someone has been a believer, the further removed from lost people they are, and yeah. the longer a church has been in existence, the further removed from the community they are. And that it, – which is, which is really an oxymoron because hopefully the longer you know Jesus, the more you look like him. And if you look more like him, the deeper you would have been. Yeah. In the community, and and the deeper you would have gone into law, you know, kind of people who are far from Jesus, their life, and so, and we we just hope and pray that Northam will always maintain, and, and not even maintain, but even go deeper into this this understanding of of mission, uh, mm. because there are because I would say in the the thirty years of of just Seminole County, Orange County, Volusia County. There, there, there's definitely been a lot of change mm-hmm. and a lot of demographic change. So, so again, th- there's still a lot for us to learn so that we can go deeper into mission. Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, let's end by talking about uh, the second coming of Jesus. So, um, why not? And um, this is essentially the the last doctrine that you um, that yep. you shared, and it's the doctrine of the last things. And, you know, we essentially laid out he is coming back. Right. And we didn't get into the nitty-gritty. So <laughs> I want to know why. why. Why didn't we get into the finer details of this doctrine? Like why, all, of the, all of the things that are going to happen? Why, yeah, why are back? we okay with leaving it so broad? Um, because Jesus left it so broad. <laughs> so that, that, that's you're, kind of You're the pulling the why. Jesus card, really? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm going to pull the Jesus card. Okay. Well, I mean, because you, you have to think like the early church thought he would come back any moment in their lifetime. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, yeah. So, and clearly he didn't. Yeah. And aren't, aren't we glad he didn't? Well, yeah. I mean, well, we wouldn't. I mean, we wouldn't have even existed. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, so it is. Yeah. So it is. It is fascinating. And here's how I've I've kind of said it. It, it. If you can be mature about it, they are fun conversations to have. But okay. but I've just been uh, you know over the years I've just been part of conversations where people aren't mature about it because they'll take they'll take the the very the, the nuances of Jesus's coming. And they'll take the nuances and elevate them to primary status. Yeah. Now that's not what we did here. Yeah. We just said he's coming back. Yeah, that's that's what we said. Yeah, and so we didn't say that. We we didn't get into any. We didn't elevate any details. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
again, I'm not going to explain all of these these terms, but people who know these terms, we didn't elevate amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism. We didn't elevate the rapture. Like we didn't elevate any of that. All we elevated was Jesus is the the physical return. There will be a physical return, a second coming of Jesus. That's what we elevated mm. because that's what this is what is elevated in Acts one. It's also elevated throughout uh, the New Testament. We see it also in uh, Revelation one. Uh, we we obviously see him coming back in Revelation twenty one, twenty two. So so we know he's going to come back, which is why like for me. I like to give this broad overview of here's what we do know. Mm-hmm. And it and 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 his coming, his first coming and his second coming is in connection with the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So going back to Genesis, oh, so okay. the kingdom of God is initiated in the garden, but it is undermined by Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And so now you have the introduction to really the kingdom of man. So you have like kind of two now train tracks. You got the kingdom of God, which kind of is, I don't want to say at a standstill, you know, at the garden, but, you know, he's promised redemption. Yeah. But now you have the movement of the kingdom of man. It's then going to be with Abraham and his descendants that you have the kingdom of God that is foreshadowed Mm -hmm. in Israel. So it's initiated in the garden, meant to be, you know, kind of represented by by Adam and and Eve. They undermine it. And then Israel, they are to foreshadow the the kingdom, but, but they completely botch it. I mean, they they completely – they fell miserably mm-hmm. at what God called them to do, which is why they're kicked out of the promised land. Mm-hmm. But then with Jesus, you have now the kingdom inaugurated, which is, again, why the kind of the, the first kind of ministry words out of Jesus' mouth is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So I've ushered in – what Jesus is saying is I've ushered in the kingdom of God. So that's why all of the signs that you see yeah. are are signs of the kingdom. Mm. So, again, they're glimpses of mm. what the full-on-out established kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God on earth will be. Be, but he's giving these signs, a foretaste of glory divine, mm-hmm. is is how a hymn would put it, right? Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus, as we saw in Acts one, you know, so right before he's going to ascend into heaven, he gives the marching orders for his church. And again, these marching orders are to participate in the mission of God. But this mission, as we've seen here at Northland, it, it took three iterations in the first 12, you know, really the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Iteration number one is that God is on mission to create a people for himself to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Adam and Eve sinned. Mm-hmm. They damaged that. Now Genesis 3, he's going to promise to redeem. Now he's now he's on mission to redeem a people for himself so that they might reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Fast forward, now mankind, they're they're with one language, but they gather together in this one little place, uh, and uh, they, they start trying to build a city for their own glory. God comes down, judges their language, confuses them, now scatters them all over the face of the earth. Then in Genesis 12, the third iteration of mission is that God now is on mission to redeem a people from all all peoples to reflect his glory in all spheres of life. Now, you fast forward to, you know, Acts now 1, Jesus is is really making sure that that his followers know what God's mission is mm. that has been since Abraham. Mm. I want you to go 
to all nations, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, because God, my Father, is on mission to redeem a people from all peoples, and I've made that possible through my death and resurrection. And so now... As the church gives witness, which I broke down the, the you know the four elements of witness, right? Mm-hmm. Verbal, they're going to share. Mm-hmm. Credible, they're going to live. Communal, they're going to be in. And sacrificial, sacrificial that's how they're going to – that's basically the propeller. Mm. And, it, and and so by the church giving witness, they are now re, uh, representatives, ambassadors, or the church you could call it – as the embassy of the kingdom. So we aren't the kingdom fully. We, we are just ambassadors. So we're living in a foreign land mm-hmm. while, while the kingdom's over here. Mm-hmm. But then the, the fifth part of uh, – uh, or the, uh, the fourth part of this, right? Yeah, so you got, got Adam, got Israel, got Jesus, got the church. And then, yes, you got the fifth part. Jesus, he's going to come back a second time and consummate the kingdom. So, and, you know, that word consummate, I know that we don't use that word, uh, you know, kind of a lot, maybe when you get married. Yeah, that's about you it. Consummate, you consummate the marriage. Yeah. If you are a teenager listening to this, I'm very sorry that you will have to ask your parents what that means. Ask Pastor Gus. <laughs> so, but but it, it seals the deal, mm. and it it is established fully. Mm. So that's why scholars talk about it's the already but not yet kingdom. So it's here, mm. but not fully yet. Mm. And so, but when Jesus comes back a second time, he will fully establish mm. the kingdom of God on earth. That's what we're getting at. That's what we believe. Now, again, uh, you know, we're not going to get into any of the, the, the kind of the detail, you know, in some sense, the details and elevate them as primary. We can talk about them. But we truly believe that Jesus is coming back. And so therefore, mm. here's what we do know in terms of him coming back. And that's why I you know, talked about it this past weekend is we have a role to play in him coming back, but it's more of a working role, not some, you know, uh, like, when I say prophetic role of trying to name the date he's coming back. Right. Like let let right. the father he's the father already knows that. Yeah. But we have a working role, not some kind of you know, like you know, um uh trying to think of when he's coming back. Yeah. So I don't even know what what word I'm trying to you know find right there. But yeah. but ours is more working than it is trying to realize. Yeah, to, we, yeah. we get to participate in his mission. We don't get to be uh, bystanders that just get to prophesy. That's not our role. Right. Exactly. So that's where we we need to be busy. And, you know, hmm. Peter actually talks about we can hasten the coming of the Lord. Because, again, we know that the gospel will be preached to all nations and that there will, there will be a people that God redeems from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people group. And I think the last I heard, there's over 6,000 languages that do not have access to the gospel. So, so there, again, there, there's a lot of work to be done, and, and I would say that there are believers that are really working on reaching those 6,000 people groups. Many. Yes. But what, but what we want to do as a, as a church is that we want to work to that end. Amen. So, 
Amen. I think that's uh, well said. I think that's a great place for us to finish for today. Yep. Well, Northland family and friends, we love you. We are super grateful for you. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode of Extra Takes. Blessings. Thanks for listening to Extra Takes. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you won't miss a single episode.